If you're looking for a partner to help you with marketing, I highly recommend you reach out to Andrew Lowen at Next Level Web. In the last year, Andrew and his company have helped board game creators raise more than $2 million on Kickstarter, and 91% of those campaigns funded in the first 24 hours, and 74% of those campaigns were from first-time creators. They have a system that works and offer solutions ranging from helping you build ads for your project all the way to fully managing your marketing campaign. So if you're looking for a reliable marketing partner for your upcoming campaign, visit nextlevelweb.com kickstarter and fill out a contact form. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about humor. We're getting funny. We're talking about what it looks like to create a humorous gaming experience. And we're talking to Grant Lyon, a professional comedian and the designer of the party game called Curmudgeon. Grant, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. I'm a huge fan of comedians. Uh, we were talking before I hit the record button about how over the last, I don't know, decade, 10 years, 12 years, something like that, I've really been studying uh, comedians as it relates to public speaking. I get the opportunity to do a lot of public speaking. And comedians are phenomenal case studies in what it looks like to hold a crowd in the palm of your hand, to understand timing, to understand rhythm and spacing and, and all the different things that really make wonderful public speakers and great storytellers. And so, yeah, really excited to get you on the show and talk about jokes and crafting fun and funny experiences and joke theory and all the different things as it relates to board games. That's a very different angle or perspective yeah. than, uh, than pe people typically think about games. You know, a lot of times you, you think totally. about board games and you have a bunch of people sitting at the table, you know, with frowns on their faces as they're like <laughs> crunching all these numbers, trying to min max, like the best way to get an extra victory point out of their, their action. You build your garden and I'm over here building my garden and we don't need to speak. You know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so I'm really just enthralled with how comedians operate. Also, we live yeah. in an interesting time right now where people in general laugh at politicians and listen to comedians, it yeah. seems like. You know? Well, I think and, that's our job. You know, when you boil it down to the core of what comedy is, it's 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 a... Uh, pointing stuff out and we're doing it in a humorous way but we're we're reflecting on the human experience in hopefully a unique way that people haven't seen it before and that's a and i also think comedy good comedy is like speaking truth to power right i i i, I don't like com comedians who punch down i like comedians who punch up yeah absolutely that's a great way to look at it and lord knows in 2020 the world could use a little bit more humor. The world could use a few more good comedians yeah. out there. And so I you agree. Know, <laughs> and then you also designed a board game. Yeah. Know, Legend, this uh, party game about basically making fun and insulting your friends. So I'm excited to talk about that as totally. well. But before we get into that, who are you? How'd you get into game design and all that kind of thing? Yeah, well, I, I've been a comedian uh, since I was in college. Uh, you know, it was when I was growing up, I was always like an entertainer sort of stuff, making my friends laugh, class clown, all that sort of stuff. Um, and I, you know, did all the school plays and things like that. But it wasn't until I got into college and um, tried stand up for the first time that I was like, oh, this is the thing, right? This, this is what I want uh, to be doing. And so, you know, I, I've been doing it for like 16 years now, and it's. Uh, it's going well. Uh, you know, I've performed in like 45 states and six countries at this point, been on TV uh, uh, numerous times. And so it, that feels fun. Uh, and then I got into games because, you know, I, when I was a kid, I was like a Magic the Gathering player, all that sort of stuff, but then got out of games w when I was a teenager and didn't really know about the world of modern board gaming, uh, which is, you know, obviously exploded in the last 10 years. Uh, and it was about six years ago, one of my comedian friends started hosting game nights in Los Angeles for other comedians. And, you know, I started playing some of these modern classics like Code Names or uh, Bang Dice or Cash and Guns or Telestrations, things like that. You know, still very like entry level games, but awesome ways to get into the hobby. And, and then I've just uh, fallen in love over the last like five years and 
you, my collection has grown and and uh, then I decided I wanted to do a, a game as well. Very cool. And when I say comedian, like you're a pro, like this is the way you make yeah. your living. <laughs> this is your day job. But what in the world made you want to design a, a game? Like kind of what brought you into that? And you, you've got a co-designer as well. And so yeah. were you guys friends and just joking around one day? And you're like, hey, we should design a game. And then, then you did or how'd that go? Well, uh, two things. So the guy I co-designed the game with has designed multiple other games. And we knew each other from the world of sort of film festivals and that sort of thing. I, I had a film that I, a short film that I wrote that was like in the pool of films that was eligible for an Academy Award in like 2012 and met him on the film f- festival circuit. Uh, and, you know, he is, he's got a couple of games that have done fa- fairly well. Yikers uh, won the Mensa Award in like 2010 or something like that um, for uh and, and his games are sort of like family strategy games, light strategy games. And he approached me and knew that I liked games, thought I was funny, knew about my career as a comedian. And he approached me and was like, hey, every game I've done so far has been more of a light strategy game. I want to do a funny party game. Are you interested in working on something like that? And immediately I said yes, because one, I love games. And so... I was like, oh, this is a whole world you know a lot more about. Like, you know, it feels overwhelming if you're not somebody that knows about the game, the the world of games. I mean, really any world. If you don't know about the world, you know, if I had like a, a toy that I wanted to bring to get into a, like a toy uh, store, I, I wouldn't know where to begin, like any of that sort of stuff. And And five years ago, I wouldn't have known where to begin when it comes to games either. But he knew that world, so it made sense. To be like, oh, yeah, totally. I would love to work with you on this. And I think the other reason I decided to was I've always been as an artist, right? I'm only getting paid actively when I'm on stage, which is up and down. There are times where I'm on stage all the time. And then times like this during a pandemic where I'm not on stage at all because my career really kind of doesn't exist right now. Uh, And so... I think there's also a lot of value as an artist to being open to streams of passive income, whether that's an album, a book, a, a poster, you know, a game, any of that sort of stuff. So I've always thought about how to create products and, and things like that that can sort of generate passive income for me while I'm not on stage. And so when he asked me if I wanted to do a game, you know, I'd already been in that mindset of like, okay, I want to create these sources of passive income. And so it made sense that, that for that reason too, you know, it was both the love, the love of games and the um, career as an artist kind of both made sense for that. Very cool. And we both know how lucrative board yeah, game industry is. And so you're on your way, sir. You don't yeah. even have to, <laughs> <I know. laughs> you can quit your day job of telling jokes. And then... For sure. I know. <laughs> It is crazy where you're like, man, what, 95% of people that are working in board games don't make a, like a full living at it? It's it's crazy. I think that's going to change because I think more and more people are coming to the hobby and more and more people are spreading the word and the love of board games, which I, which I think is awesome. Uh, so hopefully that changes at some point. But it is crazy how much like how – because I had no idea how big the world of board gaming – was until I got into it this last like four or five years. And yet it's still so niche compared to a lot of things. Oh yeah, for sure. You, you think about movies, you think about video games, you know, if you only sell a hundred thousand copies of your video game, then your company probably goes under and you, you can't work anymore unless you're just some really small indie studio. You totally. sell a hundred thousand board games and you got hit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, you're doing pretty doggone well. Yeah. And so it is interesting to look at uh, the difference, but let's jump into the topic. Let's get a good working definition as far as humorous games crafting a humorous experience what does that mean exactly like i know personally i've created some very humorous games in the past uh they weren't supposed to be funny Uh, they were more funny sad than funny haha and so what does it mean exactly in in your opinion to create a humorous experience to me it's creating memorable moments that's what you want a humorous game to do you know most most party games most humorous games aren't really about who wins the game, but about those moments that you experience along the way. You know, I I don't think a lot of people 
walk away from telestrations going, man, remember that time Joe won telestrations? No, you're like, remember that one time where we started with this and by the end we thought it was this? How crazy was that? I mean, half the time when we play telestrations, we don't even keep score. It doesn't matter. We're just playing it. And and quite frankly, we enjoy playing that game the most at the end of the night where people have maybe had a, a couple of drinks or a little bit tired because I want people to be worse at drawing for that game, you know? And I, and I think that's that to me is how do we create a game experience that leaves you with laughs and memorable moments? Yeah, that's a really good way to look at it. It reminds me of the, the older TV show, uh, whose line is it anyway, where the points don't matter. Because you're not watching that that TV show to find out who wins or to see who scores the most points. You're watching it because you know it's going to be fun. It's going to be funny. There's going to be some crazy moments that are memorable that you can talk about with your spouse or your friends or whatever. And I think it's the same thing for these humorous games. Now, we'll get into some games that maybe don't mean to be funny, but actually it turns out that they are for various reasons. But before we get into those uh, ideas, why is this important to talk about? Why is it something that designers should be thinking about? Like, why is it maybe important, especially in a year like 2020, uh, to be talking about games and humorous moments? Well, I mean, one is because you play a game to have fun. You know, I, I think that's the ultimate reason why any of us are playing games to have fun. And there's a lot of different ways to have fun. I think it's very fun to sit down and think through some deep strategy sometime. And when that strategy works out, you feel very proud of yourself. So that is a certainly a way to have fun. But another way to have fun is to have laughs with your friends, to create this social interaction. I mean, I think games in the end, the best way the best reason to play games is because you're you're having a way to interact with people that you enjoy. And and sometimes that's playing deep strategy and sometimes that's just like having a good laugh and bringing it up at another party another time or remembering that sort of thing. So in the end, I, it's like there are some games we've all played games that kind of feel like chores. You know, you're you're like everything's here, but it's not that fun. You know, it, it's like, I, I don't know what's missing, but it, you you seem to have all the elements, but all the elements don't work together to make this game fun. And in the end, I just want to have fun when I play games. So talking about creating humorous experiences in games, that's just really one path to having a fun experience with your loved ones, whether those are friends or family. Yeah, absolutely. And especially if you're trying to design a game that you're you're going for that, it's super important to think yeah. through, okay, what turns a moment into a funny moment? What words, what phrases, what what can I put in the rule book that like gives players the opportunity to have fun and to create these fun moments, whether it's physical and having to actually do something physically. There's lots of party games where, you know, I think Happy Salmon is one where you're like running around the table and you're slapping hands in different ways and you're doing different things and yelling at each other. And Pit is the same thing where you're just yelling at each other at the table. Trying, like it creates humor through physical yeah. uh, things and moving around. But then also, you know, whether it's telestrations and you're guessing and you've got Uncle Bob who he's been drinking since noon and yeah, he's yeah. out of his mind <laughs> and whether he's drawing or guessing, it's hilarious. Or Time's Up where you've got a big group of people yelling at one person who's trying to, you know, figure out a word or, or whatever it is. How do you do that? And so I want to, before we get into kind of the design theory, and that's something I talk to a lot of people about, I want to talk to you about joke theory. And this is something a lot of comedians really understand. And the more you understand it, I feel like the better you are at being a comedian as far as the, the psychology of a crowd and understanding how to craft a joke and where to put the punchline and where to put the pauses and how to tell a story and the ups and downs, all those different things. Tell me a little bit more about joke theory because I feel, feel like it's something uh, most people have ever, either never heard of or just never mm -hmm. you know, gotten a chance to study it. Tell me about joke theory and then let's kind of transition into how it applies to a game and helping to make it funny. So there are, there are two things I would say about joke theory. Number one, a joke is creating an expectation and then breaking that expectation. That's where funny comes in. That's where a laugh comes in. So any joke is going to have, whether it's a story, whether it's a one-liner, any of that sort of stuff is going to have a setup and then a punchline. And so the setup is creating an A storyline 
where your brain is filling in the expectations of how that joke is going to end. The setup is creating a narrative and then you are expecting the joke to go one way with that narrative. And the punchline creates comedy because it breaks that narrative and sets up an alternate B storyline that doesn't fit with that A storyline. So you're creating an expectation with the setup and the A storyline and then breaking that expectation with the punchline and the B storyline. For instance, the classic joke, I just flew here from New York, right? The expectation that you have created with that setup is that you spent all day getting on an airplane, traveling, getting to your destination. Boy, are my arms tired. Now we have just broken that storyline. We've broken that expectation and set up a new storyline that, oh, you didn't travel here on an airplane. You flapped your arms the entire way here. I wasn't expecting that. I'm going to laugh. And obviously that's, you know, uh, an old tired joke at this point, but it's a good example to sort of set that stage of how a punchline breaks the expectation of uh, of a setup. The other main thing I would say, actually now I want to say two more things about joke theory. Uh, the other, th one of the other things is that comedy comes from creating tension. You want to build the tension as much so that people don't know what's coming. And then once the punchline happens, you are allowing an audience to collectively release tension. Uh, and it's, there's, a really, there's really interesting comedic sort of experiments. So I sometimes think of a, uh, of a comedy show as like a roller coaster where there are peaks and valleys. And when you're creating tension, you're coming down into the valley and then the punchline gets you back up to the top of the roller coaster. But you can lose people along the way. If, you're, if your valley is going so deep and so long, people might get off the ride. And that's where you lose an audience because they have, they've gotten off in a valley and now they're just standing there waiting and they're not on the ride back up to the top. And, and the whole show kind of is ruined because now everybody's down here low the whole time. But if you can take them low and keep them on board so that you bring them to the top, the top now feels so much better because you went to the bottom. And so there is really a fine line of like, well, I want to build tension, but I can't lose them. But the more tension I successfully build, the bigger the laughs are going to be once we get there to the top. And the last thing I'll say about joke theory is just sort of in performance. Comedy comes from either playing the straight ridiculous or playing the ridiculous straight. A perfect example of that is the classic movie Airplane. It's the most ridiculous movie that you'll ever see, but nobody acts like it's ridiculous. No, but none of the actors are wink, wink, nod, nodding to how silly all of it is. I mean, Leslie Nielsen is like the most straight-faced, deadpan performer ever, and that's why it works is because they're not treating it as comedy. They're treating it as the most serious thing in the world. Whereas, you know, alternately, if something's real serious, like a great example of this is one of a movie I love is Wedding Crashers, where Will Ferrell has such a memorable scene in that where he's talking about, you know, picking up people at a funeral. Well, that's like very serious. And he is playing it so ridiculous and yelling for his mom and all that sort of stuff. So you either, you got to play this, you got to play the serious ridiculous or play the ridiculous serious. You can't play the ridiculous silly. It doesn't work. 
Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's a really, really good way uh, to look at it. And uh, I'm gonna, I'm writing these notes now, man. I'm, I'm telling you, this is gonna help my my yeah, storytelling and public speaking. So. This is stuff I've thought a lot about for a lot of years. So you probably yeah. didn't expect that long of an answer. No, that was great. That was really, really good. And I think it can be super helpful for someone who maybe is trying to design a party game or or maybe just a game with some humor in it, some humorous elements. And so, tell me about how maybe you were able to take some of the ideas in joke theory and then apply them over into game design. Well, I think you can um, create expectations and then break those expectations in game design too. I mean, that's what a ton of party games do, right? I mean, even we take uh, Telestrations just as an example uh, again. And, you know, the word you are getting, you are expecting that to go around the table. You don't, and what comes back is funny because it is not what you expected. Uh, you know, it's not my favorite game in the world, but Cards Against Humanity is one of the most popular party games of all time. And whether you like it or not, it's uh, it, indisputable that it is uh, well known. And that game also does a whole thing where the, the, the judge card that you put down is creating an expectation and the cards that everybody else throws in is breaking that expectation. So if you can continue to think about ways to, you know, sort of go, I'm going to take this joke or this moment in a way that people aren't initially thinking that it's going to go, then that's the, then that is how you get comedy out of it. Very cool. And so what were some of the other games that maybe inspired you and helping you to design your own game or just other party games, humorous games, not necessarily party games, just humorous games uh, that you kind of look at and go, okay, this is a game that's doing it really well. And and why, what are some of those games? Well, I've always loved Balderdash as a classic game because Balderdash sort of gives you some level of creativity back, right? I mean, you get to decide the answers for things. You get to write stuff down. And, and I think, I think a lot of games almost don't um, trust the uh, level of creativity that people that are playing games have. And, and to me, I would put a Cards Against Humanity or like a What Do You Meme in that category where to me, those games aren't that fun because it's like, well, I'm not being funny. I don't have any agency over this. It's just this pre-written card and it it, it those games are kind of those games are like funny to people who aren't funny but if you have people that are funny it gets a little boring and so I really want to sort of provide a framework and a structure but you get to do the creativity and you get to bring some of your own humor to it so I think Balderdash does that very well a game that's less well known um, that I really like for that reason too is a game called Word Whimsy. Uh, and Word Whimsy is you get to sort of make combinations of cards through it. And, you know, you could answer a question with a single card. You could put five cards together and have this epic answer. And it just, it's great because sometimes a single word answer to a question is going to be the funniest. And sometimes this whole ridiculous string of stuff is going to be the funniest. And I think that that game really allows you to decide in the moment what is the funniest. And so, I, I don't know, I, I like games that do that, that allow, that give a framework, but don't do all of the work for you. Yeah, definitely. Uh, a couple games come to mind when, when talking through this. Trial by Trolley is a game I find hilarious where, the cool thing about that one is, so there's a judge who is in charge of the trolley and they're going to determine which way it goes. You have two different tracks and then other people are basically placing cards onto the track, trying to get you to go one way or the other and to run over that group of cards with the trolley, right? And so you're, you might put a card down that's like an orphanage full of orphans on the mm. tracker. You wouldn't you wouldn't run over an orphanage full of orphans, would you? And then somebody else might put on, well, here's a, a box full of 10 puppies. It's like, well, you wouldn't run over 10 puppies, would you? Or, or you might put something crazy, you know, an, an axe murderer or a politician or something. So you want them to go down that road. or And you can put like these modifier cards uh i'm trying to think of a good one but anyway uh, a super great person and somebody puts a modifier card on there that never called your mom back after a date or something it's yeah. so, like you're changing the, and then you're trying to get this person to 
to choose. And what I love about that one is, okay, so you do, you do have these cards, but then it's open up, open to your interpretation. So now you get to argue or talk about like why this is hilarious or why this is better, or why you should go this way or that way. So it kind of has a good little medium uh, there where you get to have agency, but then also you're limited and constrained by the cards in your hand. So that's an interesting kind of halfway point. Yeah, that well, that's exactly what I'm saying, where you want this structure and this framework, but there has to be enough room to bring your own ideas and your own creativity into it. I think those are the most memorable, funny games. For sure. Another one is Monikers where it's got all these different rounds and you're doing different things. But basically, you know, it's, it's kind of like you're, you're trying to get people to guess. So you might have the, the name Mother Teresa. And so you might have to act out Mother Teresa. Or you might have to say words or whatever. But the, the humor comes in the different rounds. So each round has the same group of uh, words. And so Mother Teresa, if it shows up in round one, it's also going to show up in round two. And so it kind of, everything stacks. And it gets to a point where you get in one round and you're only allowed to make one noise or one sound or one motion. Yeah. And people can guess what you're doing because they have a, a small, you know, maybe 20 words that they're pulling from. And they guess out of that 20 by your action, by your word, by your noise, whatever. They go, oh, that's Mother Teresa. And it turns into these hilarious things because of what you're saying earlier, expectation and then that payoff, right? And so when someone does something absolutely ridiculous that to a, in a normal situation, if you did that thing, no one would guess <laughs> Mother Teresa. Yeah, but yeah. in the context of this game, all of a sudden that one goofy thing turns into somebody guessing Mother Teresa and it creates humor in, in that moment. So I think that's another one that and, people should definitely check out. Yeah, I, lo- I like Monikers and I, and I think Monikers also does a great job where, you know, the comedy a lot of times comes from the social interaction, right? You want in a party game, in a funny game, you want to have a lot of interaction between players because it's going to be in those social interactions where the jokes and the moments happen. Right. And a lot of times it's not even the game. It's just the game putting people in the, and giving them the opportunity to then have those humorous moments. I can't, I think what you were talking about a moment ago with, with cards against humanity, the game doesn't necessarily set you up to have funny moments. The game, like it just kind of, it's cards that come out. Right. And so I don't know, it doesn't uh, have as many opportunities for yeah. players to kind of have fun as it does just playing cards. And cards against humanity also doesn't, break expectations like some other games do because we've all played it and it's like you get a card in your hand and you're like I know that this card is going to win on anything I put down right there are cards in that in in that game where you're like well as if if I've played this more than three times I get how it works and I get like what's going to win what and it takes away that tension it doesn't have the tension because you're like well, I'm just going to hold this card down until I know I need to win something and I'm going to throw that down and it's going to win for sure. Yeah, that's another really good point. Now, I can't knock Cards Against Humanity too much because they've sold millions and millions yeah. of copies. And so, you know, the market proves what people want. But, you know, if, if you're going to make one of these games, I think it's worth thinking through, how do I do something different? How do I do something interesting? Uh, and just kind of working through these different ideas. And the other reality is Cards Against Humanity already exists. And we have seen so many people try to do knockoff versions of it that don't succeed because Cards Against Humanity is already a thing. So if you're going to design a humorous game, you better bring some new ideas and some different things than Cards Against Humanity did. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. So tell me the the, the fine line that you kind of have to walk between funny and then trying too hard. Because I feel like that's something that happens a lot in comedy when you can you can tell when someone's trying too hard, they're working too hard to make something funny. And so when it comes to a game, how do you figure out where that balance is and, and giving players that opportunity to be funny without making them feel like they're having to work too hard to get there? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, in, especially in a game setting, it's surprising how little goes a long way. If you have, again, a, a perfect example of this is the rule book we did Uh, for curmudgeon it's the first time I've written a rule book and me being a comedian and thinking about it from on stage it's like I need punchlines all the time when I'm on stage so I tried to put punchlines all the time in the rule book and uh you know then blind blind play tested at some game stores in my local community with other gamers and stuff and everybody was kind of like dude this is too much like you don't need this much comedy in your rulebook. I'm trying to actually figure out how to learn to play the game. And it's so distracting that there's all these jokes in there. And so 
obviously being a party game, I wanted to have a few jokes in there, but we really just stripped it back. And it's like, I imagine like the rule book maybe has like five jokes in it now. And that's it in a, in a, it's like a, it's like a joke per page of a rule book. And people walk away going, wow, that's a funny rule book. And to me, I'm like, oh, really? Oh man. I, I feel like I got rid of so much of the jokes, but in an aspect of a game where, you know, there is a lot of stuff other than just the humor. There's the playing of the game and the setting up of the game and the, and the components and all that sort of stuff. There's a lot of other aspects that, that the humor that you do have goes a lot further than you think it might. And so it doesn't, you don't just need to stuff comedy, comedy, comedy into the game. You need to find these three or four funny moments and then figure out how to highlight those. And so the rule book is a good example, just in the sense of like, all I needed was like four or five jokes and people walk away going, that was a funny rule book. I didn't need them all the time. And I think that that's the same in the gameplay too. You need to find two or three things that are funny about the game and then figure out how to highlight those things and allow those things to shine. And people will walk away going, that was a funny game. Yeah, I completely agree, especially when it comes to the rule book. I've read several rule books where it wasn't even a funny game. Like it wasn't even a party game. <laughs> yeah. But whoever wrote the rule book was trying to be funny or sarcastic or whatever, or maybe just thought they were humorous or, or maybe they didn't mean to at all, but it came across that way. And it's just, it's annoying. It's frustrating because yeah. it's it's time and place. Like there are certain times and certain places where jokes maybe just aren't the most appropriate thing. And I think a, a rule book uh, might be one of those where you got to be very careful. And, and like you're saying, not have too many if you're going to have any at all. And just understanding the type of game. If it's a three hour heavy strategic yeah. <laughs> game, probably don't need any jokes in there. People yeah, are people aren't going... coming for the laughs. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you just know. understanding. But that. I think that, that was, it's a, that's a good thing to like, you got to figure out in play testing, what is the funny about the game? And then rather than trying to add in a bunch of other funny stuff, just figure out how to highlight those one or two things that are funny. Figure out how to make those the core of the experience and people walk away going, that game's hilarious. It's like, yeah, it didn't have a ton of jokes over and over. It just had this one or two really funny thing that we got to do multiple times. Right, that's a really good point. Let's stay on the topic of playtesting. Tell me what you're looking for when you've got a game that you're hoping is funny that creates these funny moments, you know, what are you looking for in the playtesting? What are you taking notes about? Uh, I imagine when you hand people a, maybe a feedback form, it says something to the effect of on a scale of one to Dave Chappelle, how funny yeah, did you think this yeah. game was? You know, something like that. Right. Uh, but tell me about like what you're aiming for, what you're looking at when you're doing the playtesting. Well, especially early on, what I'm looking at is I'm just, I don't even care. Like, how did all the mechanics work? I am watching to go, where are the places that people smiled and laughed? Because, you know, a lot of times, I think with jokes and with board games, it's like you probably start with more than you need and then just figure out how to strip away the stuff that isn't important and boil it down to the stuff that makes it work. You know, I, I, when I write a joke, I try to sort of come at the the topic from every angle, right? And I'll write a five, six minute bit about something. And then I'm going on the stage and, and I'm doing the five or six minute bit multiple times and then going, okay, this isn't important. This stuff people don't respond to. We don't need this as part of the joke. So what might've been a six minute joke ends up when it's done is a two and a half minute joke that really works well. And I think the same thing goes for playtesting and board games. It's like, do, do all the things you think might work and then playtest it and pay attention to the stuff that people are actually responding to, you know? And in a, in a party game, that's going to be, where are people laughing? Where are people smiling? What are people wishing they could do more of? And then figure out how to get rid of the other stuff and just make those two or three things that made people laugh or made people smile, the main focus of the game. Like, for instance, in my game, you know, I think partly because 
I co-designed it with a guy who has done more strategic games. We had way too much strategy in the beginning. That first play test like almost made me cry because it just, people were just constantly trying to wrap their heads around stuff. And then there would be these moments where people would, I would see people light up and me go and go, oh, this part of the game is fun. And so it was like my MO after that first play test was just how do we just make it about those fun moments? How do we get rid of all of the stuff that made people sit and try to wrap their heads around and go, okay, what am I doing here? I don't get this part, but this is what I'm supposed to do. So I'm doing it because I'm supposed to do it. No, get rid of all that stuff and just figure out how to make those aspects of the game that make it memorable. Figure out how to make those the crux of the game where you get to keep coming back to. So like, for instance, you're building insults using keywords, kind of like mad living insults, and then you're throwing it down on somebody else's uh, life card, and then you can get into retort battles, and retort battles are kind of like one-upping each other. Well, everybody loved those retort battles. That's just like the one-upsmanship of it, right? Where we're talking about creating memorable moments. I love games that make people go, whoa, 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 and it has that sort of heightened reaction to it. And I was like, okay, we have that in the retort battles. But when we first started doing the retort battles, like there were numbers on them and you had to meet the numbers or exceed the numbers to be able to come back. And then that person had to meet or exceed the numbers you threw down. And it was like, we're, we're throwing all these wrenches into this aspect of the game that is so fun we need to make it easier for people to do that. And, and we need to make it more often for people to do that. And so that was like a big part of future playtesting is how do we just boil it down to, this is a hugely fun part of this game. How do we make this a part that is easy and often to do because it always feels different and it always feels fun. Right. And I feel like no matter what kind of game you're designing, this at its core is one of the main things you're doing through playtesting and development is basically helping the game to get out of its own way. Right. Yes. How do you get to whatever that core experience is that you're going for? How do you get rid of as much other stuff as possible? That way you can just keep going to that well over and over and over again, pushing that button over and over and over again. That creates the most fun. In this case, the most humor, the most laughs. If it's a strategy game, you know, something that's maybe a little more serious, then, then you push that button over and over again that helps people feel clever or feel like they're really uh, engaged with the theme and, and heroic or whatever, you know, kind of game you're designing. But how do you get out of your own way as the game designer? How do you get out of, how do you help the game get out of its way? It's something to really think through as far as like cutting stuff out, getting rid of entire mechanisms, getting rid of things about the game that don't line up or don't point to that core gameplay uh, experience. And so, yeah, definitely something to be thinking about. And I think, you know, when, I agree with what you're saying. And, and one of the things I would say is don't be precious about your ideas. Like listen to your play testers, right? A, a lot of times, you know, play testers, they don't have any stake in, in the game. They're going to be pretty honest and listen to them when they say, this is one of the things I really liked about this game. And if you're hearing that consistently, then figure out how to make that more of a prominent aspect of the game, figure out how to, make the game center around stuff. Don't be precious about the ideas. Like, you know, I've seen some people be like, no, 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 but this is what it's supposed to be. It's like, look, it doesn't matter what it's supposed to be. It matters how people are, how people are coming to it and how people are thinking about it. Like you got to let go of like these preconceived notions that you had. I mean, that was, we had this aspect of curmudgeon where um, you had to like, build up to a certain amount of rage in order to throw an insult out and it was like funny and cool but in the end it wasn't it wasn't the nobody was ever saying like i love that i have to like build up this funny rage in order to throw an insult nobody ever said that so it was like well then why do we have it get rid of it like it's just another step in the way of being able to like be silly and throw down a creative insult yeah, and this is a place where blind playtesting is so incredibly valuable because you get to just have that honest look at what works in your game and what doesn't. And, you know, when I was uh, playing football back in college, we had a big sign on our film room wall that said, you are what you put on tape. And it was this idea that it doesn't matter what you think 
or who you think you are. It doesn't matter what like ESPN Sports Center says. It doesn't matter what ranking we have in in the you know in the country. The only thing that matters is reality and the reality of what that tape says. And if you missed a block, if you dropped a pass, if you ran left and you shouldn't have ran right, that's that's who you are. And I feel like that's what bond playtesting gives you the opportunity to, to find out. What is your game and what are the best parts of it? And then it allows you the opportunity to start cutting out the other things and just being honest and, and killing your darlings, so to speak, is what a lot of designers and writers you know talk about and not like you're saying not holding on to things too preciously you know you're not going yeah. this is not the one ring you know it's okay throw it into mount doom like go do something else and, and try to find a different way for the game to work and also like have if you are a creative person have confidence in your creativity this is not the one idea that's going to make or break your life you will have other ideas and it's okay to let something go or to come back, set something aside and come back to it later. You know, I, I see this even in comedy where people are like, Oh, this is like the one thing that's going to make me big. And it's like, well, that's not the world we live in anymore with the internet and stuff. There, there are no one thing anymore. You got to just keep being creative and keep throwing out ideas. Right. Now, when you're designing one of these kinds of games or trying to create this type of experience, what do you do for those people who just aren't funny, right? Every game group has a person or 10 who are just super serious that maybe they're super introverted. They, they don't laugh a lot. They don't feel like they can come up with jokes. Maybe they can, but they just don't feel like they can or something like that. So how do you design a game that creates these funny moments, even for people who don't think of themselves as very funny? I think it all starts with having a format and a structure. If if you if it's too open, if it's too loose, you're you're asking too much of people that play. But if it's completely pre-written, it also is uninteresting to people to play. So it's finding this sort of middle ground where you are providing a structure and a format, but still letting people add their own personality and their own jokes into the game. Gotcha. I think it also comes down, I think you said this earlier, of trusting your players, trusting that the people at the table are going to get it. They're going to figure out how to kind of put these things together to create those humorous experiences and, and just not doing too much. Don't, don't feel like the game has to do too much. And I also, you know, I think there is value in like knowing who your audience is. It's okay to make a game for an audience. Like that's, you know, not everything is going to be for every person that exists. And, and if you try to make a game that every single human being is going to enjoy, I imagine that nobody's going to enjoy it. And so, you know, it, there are party games where I'm like, this is a game I want to play with my friends. This is not a game I want to play with my parents. And that's okay. You, you should make the game fun for a particular audience. Think about your audience when you are designing a game. I think that is super important in anything creative. Before you even get started, think about who are you making this for? Because that will help define what you want to highlight and the experiences that you want to give to people. Yeah, definitely. And so when it comes to the entire experience of a game, the art is super important. You know, how everything comes together visually, super, super important. So tell me about how art plays into a funny game or a humorous experience of a game. I know curmudgeon, you've got these old people, you know, that are kind of humorously drawn and the way that the colors and everything come together. So it's kind of funny going in. So tell me about that and, and your thoughts on art and then creating that humorous uh, environment. One thing I will say is that you cannot have the art be the only humorous thing. I've seen this stuff. I've seen this with games sometimes where they try to make the art really funny. But if the game isn't funny, who cares that the art is funny? I, you know, or, or if the flavor text is funny, but the game isn't funny at all, who cares? I'm not playing the game to read flavor text. And so I think having art that adds to the humor of the game is really important but you cannot have art stand in for the humor of the game. If, if the game is just like a worker placement game and the art is funny, but the game is just about worker placement stuff, I'm not going to walk away from that game going, this is a funny game. I'm going to walk away going, man, it's weird that they were trying to make this funny because it's not funny. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, you can't rely on the art as a crutch to make the game funny. It has to have other things going on as well. And so, yeah, don't feel like you can just go out there and get a really good artist who can draw things in a hilarious way and be like, oh, my game's going to be funny now. It's like, well, I think that's a, a percentage of it, but it's definitely not the majority, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, how do you feel about art that's trying to be funny? Yeah, I think it goes back into what we were talking about a minute ago with trying too hard. Yeah, right? when the art I agree. Is, is trying too hard or it, it comes across uh, kind of what you're saying earlier as far as like expectations, I think as well, uh, play into this. And if everything is drawn, trying to be really, really funny, then maybe you're losing that whole expectation and then kind of the, the punchline of, of going against the grain. Maybe you're losing out on that. I think a lot of the games we've talked about so far are hilarious games that don't rely on art hardly at all. You know, they rely on the experience. They rely on the gameplay to create the humor. And so, yeah, I think it's something that people can use as a crutch, but you got to be really careful to make yeah. sure that, that you're, you're not relying on it too much. For sure. Now, what else? What other challenges, design challenges, playtesting challenges, anything like that did you guys run into with curmudgeon? You want to be able to take other people's feedback and let go of your kill your babies, as they say in, in joke writing. You got to be able to let go of aspects. But you also, once you've play tested, you also need to have confidence in aspects of the game. And, and some of that comes from the myriad times of doing something. But you're still going to find people that don't like certain aspects of a game. And that's okay. You know, it, if you've play tested 50 times and on the 51st time, a playtester is like, boy, I don't like this part of it, but everybody else did. Don't scrap that part of it. Don't, don't go, oh, well, this is, you know, because I, I, we definitely had that with, with my game. It's like, you're trying to find the moments and the, and the stuff that makes people laugh and, and makes people have a good time. But there are some people that are just going to be like, uh, that, did, that wasn't that good of a time to me. And it's like, ah, that's a bummer. I'm sorry. I mean, that happens to me on stage. It's like, I wouldn't be a professional comedian if people didn't laugh most of the time, but I still do plenty of shows where people are like, you know, I feel like the audience is saying to me, like, whoever told you you're a comedian, you have been misinformed. Uh, and so I think you also have to like trust the process and, and know that, you do have something good on your hand and you don't have to scrap the whole thing just because like one person didn't respond to that. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about games that have humor in them, whether intentional or not, that uh, aren't party games. So maybe they're a little bit more strategic. Maybe they got a little bit more going on, a little more complex. What are your thoughts on non-party games that still have a, a bit of humor going on? I think the best non-party games that have humor are getting it because of how they are um, doing the social interaction of the game, the player interaction, right? I mean, you're going to get, if you're playing with a group of people who are your friends or who are funny or stuff like that, a game can set you up to interact with those people in a great way that then creates comedy because of you and your friend's relationship. The game is not doing it necessarily, but it is allowing you to have this social interaction with another player. And I think those types of games are great because that allows you to bring in any inside jokes and in any, you know, history that you have with your friends. You know, I like to me, um, one of the best games that does that is Sheriff of Nottingham, where, you know, you get to bring so much of your own personality into that game. Like, especially when you are the sheriff, you're like, well, I'm not trusting Jake because Jake is always trying to mess with me. So I'm not taking any deal that you give, but boy, Tony's been real quiet over there. What does that mean about him? And so you're really like thinking about the personalities of the people that you're playing with. And it ends up being like very funny and social and memorable. I wouldn't say, you know, when I'm, you know, you're looking at the cards. It's like, well, this is a wheel of cheese. I don't know how funny that is on its own, but it has just set us up to have really great social interaction. So it ends up being very funny. 
Right. That's, a, that's an interesting point. And I think any of these games that offer the opportunity for players to accuse each other of things or bluff or deduce down like who is who, like which roles are people playing? Uh, I think about Secret Hitler and you're, you're literally yeah. able to call your grandmother Hitler. Right. And which is kind of funny in a certain, you know, certain context. And, you know, I've got certain friends that a game of Agricola is humorous because they're playing yeah. the game and they find a way to make it funny at the totally. table. But, but there's so many other games. And like before the show, uh, before we hit record, we were talking about the game Bang and how totally. little, little double entendre and like the way words can be used uh, differently in certain contexts to be humorous or to create these kind of funny moments. I think it's just something to, th- to think about when yeah, you're designing and I, a game. And, and creating social interaction, right? I mean, you know, to uh, Bang Dice uh, is probably, I mean, it's in my top five games and it's the game that probably gets played in the top three times in my game nights. Uh, and my game nights are mostly just with other professional comedians. Whereas a game like Telestrations, Telestrations obviously exists to create funny moments. I mean, that that is the point of that game. Whereas Bang, you know, the point of that game is not to be funny, but with funny people, you know, it ends up being hilarious. We uh, comedians love that game because of the hidden role, because of shooting at other people. And, you know, you're like shooting at somebody and somebody's like, why are you shooting at me? And you're like, cause I don't like the way your face looks right now. You grew that weird mustache and I'm shooting you because of that mustache, you know, and stuff like that, where you're just creating these like fun social interaction. I think bang does a great job of that. Yeah. And I think it's also something to think about on the opposite side of if you're th- if you're designing a game that is serious and you don't really want a humorous type situation, uh, be aware of the words that you're using and the phrases and different things. Because if you're designing a game uh, that's super serious, maybe you don't want players to say "I bang you" um, <laughs> and create these humorous <laughs> moments in that in that moment, you know, in, in the gameplay. And so something else to just kind of be be aware of. I think also theming really plays a huge role in this and how the theme of your game, you know, turns into humor whether the game is humorous or not and it seems like poop jokes go a long way with this right there's a ton of mass market games that are poop related that are toilet related that are about these kind of hilarious you know bathroom humor type things whether it's a game like don't step in it which is basically pin the tail on the donkey except you're throwing out little fake poops and you put a blindfold on and you're trying to walk and not step on the poop you know that game has sold millions of copies (laughs) so and it's hilarious but it's not like a party game. It's, I don't know what it is. It's just a mass market game. <laughs> There's another game that was on Kickstarter a while back called Too Many Poops, which is yep. this cute little game about cats. And one of the main mechanisms of the game is the, the poops that come out on, on the board. And so that's not a party game. It's not like a funny game, but that is a kind of a funny, humorous moment that creates all sorts of table talk. That's uh, that's also pretty funny. And then another game I want to talk about is called, I don't know if I'm going to say this right, but Pecunia Non Olet. And that's, uh, Latin, I believe, for for something. But basically, the game is set in ancient Rome, and you are building bathrooms and latrines. And the way you get victory points is by having people come and use your latrine. And so, whoever, whichever player at the table does the best job of getting people to poop in their bathroom, they're going <laughs> to win with the most victory points. And the game is very strategic. Like, there's a lot going on, lots of victory points, and upgrading your bathrooms and different things. And so, if you take out that theme, it could just be any euro, you know, that you want to imagine. But it has a very specific theme that creates pretty hilarious table talk as far as like bathrooms and toilets and, and pooping and things like that. So I think totally. that's another thing to uh, just be aware of. Like what's your theme and does it lend itself to humor? I think theme matters a ton. Like uh, for instance, there's a 2020 game that I like called Cinder. Um, and it's literally, the game is you're rolling dice. You're, you're trying to set up dating profiles for dating dragons. And it's really just a push your luck dice game. There's other aspects of it, but you're mostly just rolling dice and trying to date these dragons. But the theme of it, to anybody who's ever done online dating before, it really works. And it ends up being funny because you're bringing your own history of online dating into the game. And I imagine that people that haven't online dated aren't going to enjoy the game that as much, nearly as much, because it's just sort of like, all right, we're just, you know, this is just another dice rolling game. But for someone who's online dated, I'm like reading through a dragon profile, thinking of what my profile is that I've set up and going, is this person the right fit for me? I flip it over and they're a terrible fit. And you're like, ah, 
oh man, I got that so wrong. And you're laughing because you're like, well, I've done that before. This person seemed right to me and, and they weren't right at all. Right. And this is, this is a great example of how the title of your game can really play into the humor of it. Cinder being a play on the word tender. Like that, that's funny. And cause it, Oh, it's dragons, sure. you know, and I don't even, that might even be where the game started where a designer had just had that pun of a you know joke. And we're like, Oh, that'd be funny if, if it was a game. Oh, I could, I could make that game. And then they did. Right. Yeah. Uh, and too many poops. Another example of a hilarious title that then kind of lends itself to being a humorous game. So I think your title really right off the bat plays into the gaming experience. I've played other games that either the title of the game or the art style, maybe on the cover of the box didn't line up, right? Where maybe mm-hmm. it was super serious, you know, cover or, or uh, game title. And then you get into the game and it's like, Oh, this is, this is really silly and kind of zany and not at all what I thought it would be. And there we go again with expectations. Right. And so you're letting people down based on what they thought going in. And so I think that's another thing to keep in mind. If you do have a humorous game, maybe you have a humorous title, maybe you have really humorous art on the cover of the box just to let people know who, who the game is for. And that yeah. way they don't go into it thinking one thing and it turned into something else. Cause it might be a really good game, but if it's totally off on the expectations, then people are going to think it's not any good, not because it's not any good, but just because it wasn't what they expected. Totally. And, and you know, I think uh, having too many rules in a game that you set up the expectation that this was going to be a fun party game. I, I've played a few games that have suffered for that where, where it's like, Oh, this seems just like a fun party game. And then you, you open it up and you're like, man, there's a lot of rules here where now I'm disappointed because like the expectation wasn't met at all where I'm like, it ends up falling into this weird middle area where it's like, there's too many rules for this to be a party game, but it's too humorous to be a strategic game. And so then I just don't know who you've made it for, which gets back to that aspect of like, think about your audience, think about who you're making this game for. Yeah, absolutely. I think another thing worth bringing up are games that are a bit zany or chaotic and create hilarious moments because of that. So Robo Rally is a game that comes to mind, and that's where you're programming these robots to go in a certain order, you know, and, and you, you might put down tiles and it's going to go straight and then it's going to turn right and then it's going to go straight again and then turn left. And you're trying to complete these objectives and go throughout this course. And everybody sets up what the robot is going to do beforehand, and then you kind of just let it all happen. And you get these funny moments where somebody else's robot does something completely unexpected and all of a sudden they're turning and now they're bumping you and they've moved you up a space. And so instead of hitting the objective, now you've gone into a buzzsaw and your robot is blown up, right? And it's it's funny because you didn't know what was going to happen and then it played out in a way you, you totally didn't anticipate. And so I think that's another a thing you can do to kind of create these humorous moments. Now, you don't want that game to be a two-hour experience. I think that's yeah. something else worth mentioning is you want to make sure the length of these games is is such that they don't overstay their welcome because it's kind of like if, if a comedian is funny for the thir- first 30 minutes, and then but he's up there an hour. It's like, well, the first 30 was good, but I wish he yeah. had ended yeah. you know, then. So you know, always leave people wanting more, and sure. whether you're telling jokes or, or, or designing games. And so I think that's something else we're talking about. Yeah, I agree. You know, I... Uh, Again, that to me comes back to who's your audience. It's like if you're playing like a silly filler where you're you're not going to like it if it lasts an hour and a half. You want it to be filler time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Grant, this has been great, man. Uh, any any other ideas, any closing thoughts for someone who maybe wants to design a humorous game or at least a game with just a little bit of humor in there? What would you tell them? I would just say figure out what is funny or fun about the game and then make that the core of the game. You just have to figure out, you know, and it may not be what you thought it was going to be. I mean, there are times where even writing a joke where I think this one aspect of a joke is so funny, but the audience is like, yeah, that part was all right, but this part is the part we think is funny. Well, listen to that and then figure out how to make that part the central experience, the memorable part of the game. Awesome. Well, Grant, your game Curmudgeon, we talked about it a few times here on the show. I know it recently uh, came out. So give me like the two minute elevator pitch for that and tell people where they can find it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just came out um, uh, in November. So it's a uh, brand new. Uh, it's a game of silly insults, dummy. And it's sort of like Mad Libs for throwing down silly insults. And the focus really is on the like ridiculous and the funny, not on the mean Uh, The way the game works is everybody will have life cards and those life cards will be things like earlobes or hamster or car or stuff like that. And you are basically 
making up an insult using keywords and filling in the sentence around those keywords and throwing it down on uh, somebody else's life card. So for instance, if somebody had the life card like uh, teeth and you had the insult cards uh, weak and bread, you might be like, your fake teeth are so weak they can't even bite through bread. Oh, And uh, you know, again, it's about those like experiences. I don't think a lot of people walk away going, Oh, remember that time Jerry won when we were playing curmudgeon? No, you're walking away thinking about those like jokes and the laughs. And, uh, you know, the best thing I can say in terms of pitching the game is uh, something someone said to me at a, at a play test at a game store in Los Angeles. She said, uh, I don't think I'm funny, but this game made me feel funny. And, and that was like, well, man, that's <laughs> you couldn't say anything better than that to me. Very cool. Well, Grant, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with Curmudgeon as it gets out into the marketplace, out into yeah. the world. Good luck with the stand-up career. I hope uh, you're able to get back on, out on the road in 2021 and maybe things start opening up safely where you can get back on stage and good luck with everything else you got going on right now. Thank you so much. I really appreciate having me. This was an interesting and fun conversation. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?